The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast-paced. Let me stop you right there. This will always be a pro-Cam Newton show. Opinionated. Hey, Tatum is phenomenal, but the end-of-game execution in the NBA is just laughable. To the point. I'm already tired of this storyline. This guy's a future Patriot. This quarterback's a future Patriot. That quarterback's a future Patriot. Are we really going to link everybody to the Pats all offseason? Because I, I have zero interest in that. Thank you. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We missed you all yesterday. We got Phil in Middlesex who's already texting in saying, can't wait for today's show. I can't wait for today's show. We missed you yesterday. Yesterday was a heavy day. It wasn't really an appropriate day to come on and babble about the Patriots, but we do have a full full show today for 90 minutes. That new text line is up and running. Again, 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. Coming up at uh, 545, we're going to talk with Adam Kaufman, who's he's a New England sports expert. He's, I think, the foremost authority on the Boston Celtics, so he's going to join us at 545. And former NFL general manager Mike Tannenbaum will stop by at about 630. So, we have what I think is the best Celtics insider in Adam Kaufman and a former NFL general manager. I mean, we are moving in this show today. Guys, let's get right to it. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. All right, my opening thoughts are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Middlesex, St. Albans, Swanton, Enosburg, and Derby, and online at sticksandstuff.com. So the Patriots two days ago lost Nick Casario, their director of player personnel. He's going to become the general manager of the Houston Texans. I think this is a huge deal. I think this is a huge deal. I'm just not sure in which way yet. In fact, I know this is a huge deal. I just don't know which way the cookie is going to crumble on this one. Casario's been with the Pats for 20 years, and he's the highest-ranking Belichick staffer. He does a bit of everything. He coaches on the field. He's in the booth on game day, involved in the draft, free agent, scouting, etc. If there's one person in the organization that has Bill Belichick's ear, it's Nick Casario, and he's now gone. This is a big deal. As for the results of this for New England, that's what I can't figure out just yet. How big a deal do you think this is? 802-585-3026. First off, before I really go down the wormhole, let me just say this. I don't love the idea of losing key staff members. I really don't. Part of what we thought made the Patriots so successful for 20 years was consistency and was continuity. Robert Kraft, Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, Josh McDaniels. Nick Casario was in that mix too. He's not a guy that we directly think of because we don't see him often. We see Kraft. We saw Brady. We see Belichick. We hear from these people. But Casario was in that group too. And as we see the Patriots' structure unravel, that worries me. Brady is gone. McDaniels might be gone. Casario is gone. When you start chipping away at what has made you so successful, that worries me right off the top. But again, I have yet to come to an extreme conclusion on this. 
Casario leaving is either going to open doors for the Patriots, which I'll explain in about five minutes, or it's going to further close those doors. I just don't know which way yet. This is a big deal, though. Adam Schefter of ESPN was on WEEI in Boston yesterday. He spoke about the Patriots' loss of Casario and says the team, in his mind, can't overcome it. Bill is his own man, and Bill makes his decisions. And I think Nick was a great lieutenant and a great deputy in carrying out Nick's uh, Nick was a great lieutenant and deputy carrying out Bill's orders. Mm. Right? So you never want to lose good people. Never want to lose good people. So that's a loss. But, I mean, let's be honest. It's Bill's organization and it's Bill's show. So he's still making the decisions. Okay, now let's get into it. Let's really get into it on that point. If Bill Belichick is going to continue to pull the strings, I think this becomes a huge deal in a negative way for the Patriots. Because I have to imagine that not many people can stick up to Bill Belichick. Okay, And just maybe, just maybe, Nick Casario could. Allowing multiple voices in a business to be heard is a good thing. It spurs creativity. It spurs differing viewpoints. It spurs you know, conflict resolution. When one person truly does everything, you have the potential to go down a really negative road. And if Nick Casario was the only voice in Foxborough that could stand up to Bill Belichick, him leaving his subtraction has to cause negative things for New England. Because I imagine that Casario's voice probably rang louder with Belichick than just about anybody else. As if anybody had the ability to push back it was probably him. And I'd ha- I'd have to imagine that whoever gets the job next is going to be so happy to be there and is going to feel so indebted to Belichick that they're going to be a yes man. They're going to nod their head and they're going to do what Bill wants because they want to grow their resume, grow their profile, get in with Belichick. And the quickest way to get in with Belichick is to agree with Belichick. We all know this, right? You take a new job and... You don't come up, you don't go to the boss with how you're going to change everything on day one, especially when the place has been successful. You're going to bide your time, you're going to wait, and you're going to talk to lower level people and just kind of get start feeling out opinions. It is going to take you a while. I've been at this radio station for four months. I am not in a position to go to the bosses and say, hey, let's change this, this, and this. Thank you. They'll be like, hey, newcomer, we did it well for, ni- for 90 years before you got here. 89 years before you got here, we were crushing it. You, why don't you just do what we pay you to do? That's what will happen. So whoever gets hired in replacement of Nick Casario, I think is going to be indebted to Belichick and not want to push back on him. And that becomes a problem because it stunts creativity and it stunts evolution in the organization. And in this year in particular... That's problematic because this is a huge year, a huge year for the Patriots. Free agency is huge. Can they get wide receivers? I'm already worried about it. What are they going to do with the quarterback position? What's up in the trade market? And Casario was big in the draft as well. He was big in the draft as well. And this draft is huge. So if we're talking about where Casario leaving can be a huge negative, Those are all the places it can be a huge negative. Albert Breer, Monday morning quarterback, he spoke on that very subject. I I think that they've got an issue now. Yeah. I mean, I like, look, like they, 
Uh, they knew that they were in a position to lose Nick Casario last year. He let his contract run out. They've had a major brain drain in that organization on the personnel side. And so you've lost four guys over the last couple of years that are in director roles in other organizations. So it's a lot of people to lose on one side of the organization um, in a short period of time. It is amazing how many people the Patriots have lost over the years, right? Going further back, Charlie Weiss and Romeo Cornell, but more recently, Brian Flores and Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, and those are just on-field people. That doesn't even include Jack Easterby and other executives and front office types. I mean, we talk about the draft again with Casario. Casario has really helped the Pats in the latter portion. Of the, for all the grief that we give Belichick about screwing up the top part of the draft, Casario has helped the Pats do well at the end of the draft and in the undrafted market. That's where he's been excelling and the Patriots have excelled. J.C. Jackson, Jacoby Myers. I don't know. My phone is going off in the background. Uh, these people are going to have to wait. Sorry about that, everybody. Um, Casario is going to have to bring that mindset to Houston, and the Patriots are going to have to figure out how to replace it. And that's going to be really, really hard to do. Now, let's flip it. You want to comment? 802-585-3026. Joe in South Burlington says, Brady, I've never heard of this guy. I just care about the product on the field. I'm sorry, but this doesn't feel like a good, lo like a big loss to me. Conversely, Helen in, uh, in Winooski says, you know what, Brady, you're making some good points. I never thought about front office types like this, but this feels like it could be a big loss. Let's all step back for a second. What if there's the other side of the discussion? What if Nick Casario leaving is actually a good thing? What if, instead of tightening the screws, Bill Belichick rolls back the screws? What if he allows someone else in? What if he allows someone from the outside to come in with fresh ideas and with a different perspective? And we're always hearing in business that you want to grow and you want to evolve. And, you know, I've seen a lot lately. Hey, don't just do it some way because that's how we've always done it. Always be looking to improve. The Patriots are doing it this way because they have always done it this way under Belichick. Just what if, what if Bill Belichick cedes some control and allows a new voice, a fresh voice to come in and lets them just do their thing? Colin Cowherd, Fox Sports Radio, he was talking about this. This is a week ago. After the Pats got blasted by Buffalo on Monday Night Football in Week 16, here's what Colin said. That was against Belichick at home in a standalone game, and it wasn't even competitive, the gap in talent, speed playmakers. Bill Belichick, if that's not a wake-up call that he needs to give more personnel power to somebody else outside the organization, I don't know what is. Will he do it, though? Will Belichick do it? Is he able to do it? We always talk in business about growing and about evolving. The Patriots have become a little stagnant, a little stale. They are so good. They have been so good. And their forward-thinking nature has allowed them to stave off all the other issues that franchises go through. They're going through them now, and it could get worse. But can Bill Belichick, can he help the organization move forward? Can he let somebody in? Will he listen? Will he be receptive? I don't know which way the Nick Casario exit brings this franchise. It has a chance to really, really crush them and set them back 
when it comes to, again, the draft, being in Belichick's ear, player development, understanding contracts. If they don't get the right guy in there, Casario leaving can be huge in a negative way. But what if Bill Belichick uses it as the impetus to move forward, uses it as the as the, the starting point for more growth, then it could be a wonderful thing. I don't know which way it's going to go, but I do know that Nick Casario leaving is a big deal. It's just going to be a big deal one way or the other, and I don't know which way that is yet. I have no idea. And... You know, when I was when I got into this business, I never thought I'd be talking about front office types. Like when you get into sports radio, you want to talk about games. You want to talk about games. You want to react to games. Monday after Sunday in football season is my favorite are my favorite shows. But now you have to. Fo- I didn't realize just the minutia of what you have to go through to get to those games and how good or bad they may be. And Nick Casario not being here is going to have a major impact. We'll all have to wait and see which way that impact goes. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Celtics won last night. They beat the Miami Heat by two. Peyton Pritchard gets the game-winning bucket with two-tenths of a second to go. Adam Kaufman, he is, in my mind, the foremost authority on the Boston Celtics. He is going to join us next. How good are the C's? How good is the Pritchard story? And how good are Jason Brown or Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown? How good are they? Adam Coffin, WBZ News Radio in Boston. He's going to be with us next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Very, very excited as we transition out of football season, although still plenty of football to talk about with the Patriots. As we transition out of football season, we're switching up our guest list and things like that. So starting today and going for the foreseeable future, we're going to be joined by our next guest, Adam Kaufman. I'll call him Celtics slash New England sports expert at WBZ (laughs) Radio up in Boston. Adam, and thanks for coming in. Happy to have you as part of the rotation. Happy to do it. Happy New Year. Well, I appreciate it. You as well. You know, I, I consider you the guy I go to uh, most often for Celtics news. So we will talk a lot of C's, but we were just wrapping up a conversation on the Patriots. So let me throw this one at you. Mm-hmm. Nick Casario leaves the Pats and the um, power structure continues to be compromised. When you hear that Casario has gone, big deal or not really to you? No, I think it's a big deal. I think it's definitely a big deal. I mean, you're talking about from a personnel standpoint, Bill Belichick's right-hand man for the last, what, 13 years, going back to 2008. He was promoted to that position after serving some time on the coaching staff. And he's been with the team for two decades. And I think that you can't really make light of or undersell institutional knowledge, which when it comes to Nick Casario's role on and off the field and practices and obviously up in the offices, he is a significant part of that operation. There is a reason that the Texans spent multiple <laughs> years trying to hire him, why the Patriots blocked it multiple times, why the Texans basically 
kept that job vacant just so that they could hire him when he became available and why they're giving him this reported six-year deal. I mean, they have obviously long lusted after the guy and, and Jack Easterby, who's a former Patriots employee, is there in Houston. He was at the forefront of that. And I know some people wondered, hey, will Josh McDaniels be next? It doesn't sound that way based on the reports coming out of Texas, but they do need a new head coach. It is just a it's a blow. Now, how big a blow remains to be seen. I mean, he obviously played uh, quite a big role in drafting, development, scouting, all of that stuff when it comes to, you know, being Bill Belichick's yeah. top aide in that department. Now, Dave Ziegler would seem to be next in line, but he is also uh, considered a candidate for the Denver Broncos GM job. So if both these guys leave, you know, we're not talking about a full system restart here. I mean, that's never the case when you still have Bill Belichick is the head of the snake, but yeah. it is a, a series uh, potentially anyway of significant losses that are not easy to overcome. And, you know, a lot of problems in the past could be masked by very simply saying Belichick and Brady. <laughs> well, yeah. you're down one of those guys now and who knows how much longer Bill Belichick's going to be around. So, you know, I know there, are, there are a lot of Patriots fans that sort of fear becoming what the, Jets have been or what the Bills were for decades or, you know, what some of these other teams across the NFL are where, you know, like we're talking about, this is the Patriots, but we're just coming off of this is the Patriots first ever seven and nine season. That doesn't mean oh technically God. it's their worst season. I mean, Bill Belichick's first year, they were five and 11. They've had plenty of bad years, you know, in the, in the eighties and going back, but they have never before in the history of time, been seven and nine. This is a first, folks. This is history. <laughs> and uh, you know, seven and nine for a lot of teams around the NFL is a is a pretty average year for their franchises. It just so happens to be over the last 20 years what we've experienced here, it is truly unprecedented. Adam Coffin, WBZ Radio with us here in the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM and WDEV Radio.com. All right, I do want to transition to the Celtics. They get a two-point win yesterday over the Miami Heat. Tell me the Heat deserved to lose that game on the basis of those uniforms alone. Those may be the ugliest uniforms I've ever seen in the history of sports. You know what the worst part of it is? And for anyone that didn't see it, pull up a highlight or Google the uniform or look at a tweet or whatever. So the Miami, uh, what are they, the city uniforms or whatever? Miami Vice. But, the, but the Miami Vice uniforms that they had last year, some of the best uniforms I've yeah. ever seen in the in the history of time when it comes to the NBA. They were that good. Like, I wanted to buy one. They mm. were incredible jerseys. And for some reason, whoever it was decided to wreck them and make them look like a, a tie-dye shirt gone bad. <laughs> and, it, it, like, I, I turned on the game. And if not for the fact that I looked at the court first, which also mirrored that terrible jersey, I honestly, I was getting ready to, like, called Samsung. I thought there was something wrong with the picture <laughs> on my screen. And that legitimately, I'm not, I'm not even, I'm not like making a joke. I thought there was a problem with the picture. And then I looked, well, the court's kind of messed up. Yeah, it could be the same thing. But the Celtics uniforms are perfectly white. There's nothing wrong here. And and you you zero in and then I and then I see that everybody else on Twitter is complaining about these jerseys and I see that it's not just me. It's like I horrific uniforms that I don't I don't know I, I haven't heard from anyone that likes them, and I don't, yeah. I don't want to meet that person for that matter. <laughs> they were awful. You know who hasn't been awful, though, is Peyton Pritchard. He, oh. gets the, he gets the game winner yesterday on that putback. And you know what? We have spent so much time as a sports society devaluing 
the upperclassman college player. Everybody mm-hmm. wants the 18-year-old, the one-and-done guy that you can mold and develop and has a longer shelf life in the NBA. But in this year in particular, with no training camp really and no real preseason, how important is it for the Celtics to have a four-year college player coming to be able to play? So I heard Brad Stevens, of course, the Celtics coach on the radio the other day, asked a question in a similar vein to what you just asked. And he more or less said, look, I mean, if if you're generally guys don't last four years in college because if you're good enough to leave, you do. And he, it wasn't a, a deliberate slight on Peyton Pritchard. You know, he was just saying like that top echelon talent is gone in a year. That's just the way it works. But to your point about this very strange year, the truncated camp, no real legitimate offseason, no exhibition games of, you know, of, of or at least not a normal exhibition yeah. schedule. You jump right into a very top heavy season. And I mean, we only know the first half of the schedule at this point where it's just so important in transition to be able to have a guy who is, you know, you don't necessarily know what his ceiling is, what his potential is, but you feel like he's headstrong, he's mentally tough, he has enough basketball IQ to be able to step right into your rotation. Unlike an Aaron Neesmith, who was picked higher than him in the first round, there is value in that in a year like this versus others. You know, no summer league, no whatever. Like, if you had asked me, as some did, going into the season, what do you envision this year for the rookies? I would have told you I thought Aaron Neesmith would you know, maybe not be part of the rotation right away or even necessarily ahead of Pritchard, but would serve a larger role than Pritchard this year. And that Peyton Pritchard would probably spend most of the season watching, or if they were able to get a G League season going, he'd be there getting his reps in, kind of like a Romeo Langford last year around his injuries and or a Carson Edwards or Tremont Waters, guys like that in the past, Taco Fall certainly. And my God, was I wrong (laughs) and thrilled to be wrong. Like, you know, Aaron E. Smith out there looks lost and, and, you know, but I don't even blame him for that because we're going to credit some of the reasons that, that Pritchard has been successful. It contributes to some of the reasons that Neesmith has been unsuccessful. You know, this is a guy who was hurt much of his college season. He's only played, he played what, like 11 or 14 college games last year. And he's expected to literally step right into the NBA. I mean, it just, it doesn't, it's not supposed to work that way. You're supposed to have, you know, summer camp and and summer league and exhibitions and all this stuff to to welcome to the NBA kid. And you don't he hasn't had that. And and Peyton Pritchard didn't have it either. But he is farther along mentally with the game of basketball. I, I if I'm I might be wrong about this. I haven't looked it up, but he's certainly in the ballpark. Pey- Peyton Pritchard might be older than Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. Hmm. He, you know, keep in mind he was a four-year, yeah. as you said, college student. You know, Brown is 22 or 24. Tatum is 22. Pritchard might be 24 himself, or he's at least, you know, he's in that window. And it has been incredibly, incredibly impressive what he has done. I was just talking to Cedric Maxwell before I talked to you. And who, of course, you know, yeah. longtime successful Celtics player, former finals MVP. And, Good name and drop. Good name Celtics. drop. I appreciate that. I'll, I'll try and give you a couple more before we're out of here. He's, <laughs> you know, I, I said to him, because we were both fawning over Pritchard. And I said, yeah, he was comparing him, and I think this is dead on accurate, by the way. He was comparing him uh, a lot to Danny Ainge when he was a player. Hmm. And I said, if we were to, you know, modernize it for the younger fan, honestly, I think he's he's a, a less physical Marcus Smart with a better jumper. Hmm. He's just as, you know, mentally tough and headstrong 
and and handsy and throws himself into the game and and wants to be just just in it. Like we say in hockey, you know, like crash the net, go into the corners, go into the dirty areas. Yeah. Pritchard's a dirty areas kind of guy. I mean, he came out of nowhere to come in with that go ahead tip in the final second to win that game in Miami. He is he just he seems like a kid who is who is just so there for the moment, capitalizing on this opportunity, taking advantage when Smart and Ortiz have been out. Obviously, Kemba Walker's not there. They are thin at that position. Tatum and Brown, as amazing a duo as they are, and individually as well, they can't do it all. And a guy like Pritchard, being part of the rotation, part of the depth chart, has been incredibly successful and 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 you know notable to their overall team success. Adam, I'll get you out of here on this. Um, I did not think that Kemba not being there would cripple the team. I still thought the team would be good, but I thought that the team would look worse than they look right now. I just thought Kemba's leadership and ability to take some of the stuff off Tatum and Brown's plate was going to be really important. Are you surprised that they're 6-3 and three playing this well without Kemba? I'm a little surprised. It has less to do with without Kemba and more to do with how poor they've been defensively. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that they've been able to overcome a lot of that to still be six and three and beat some good teams along the way. You know, looking at some of the stats earlier after last night, I think one of the most notable statistics that's kind of defined their success is they are as a team shooting 40% from three point range. Hmm. And it's not like it's one guy, you know, Brown, Tatum, Smart, Ojale, Teague, Grant Williams. Like all these guys are 40 plus percent from three. Ironically, wow. Pritchard's not. He's sub 40 <laughs> percent and he's arguably the best shooter on the entire team. You know, it's just a little slow to get his yeah. long range shot to fall. But a lot of these guys, they're they're just shooting well. And I don't get me wrong. I think when Kemba comes back, if he and he any given night, a guy can can show out. We've seen that in years past, you know, with the Celtics and across the NBA, for that matter. Like, there were Hayward nights, you know, last year where he dropped 30 as opposed to the 44 that he dropped for the Hornets last <laughs> night. Career game. He was awesome. But, you know, like, Kemba's going to have his nights where he's the leading scorer and he's the guy. But I think Kemba, and he has shown this in the past, not only on the floor but off the floor in, in comments that he's made with the media and to teammates, I, I think he's going to be comfortable coming in as the third option. And, you know, I'm really not at all surprised with what Jason Tatum has done. I don't, I don't see how you could be after what he did in the second half of last year and into the bubble. But what Jalen Brown has done, which has a lot of people not only celebrating his contract, who should have been in the first place, yeah. should have been celebrating that the second it was signed, but also just quite frankly, I mean, going nuts at, at the idea that, wait a minute, maybe we were wrong. Like maybe this guy's ceiling is just as high, if not higher than Tatum's even mm. with his efficiency, the well-roundedness to his game. And as, you know, Max was putting it earlier, kind of the Batman Robin dynamic, you know, Brown is comfortable being Tatum's Robin to his Batman, but maybe that isn't actually the way. I mean, obviously in terms of their individual swagger and the way they carry themselves on the floor and and everyone's saying like it's Tatum's team none of that is wrong like there's a reason he's like a 200 million dollar guy but don't discount you know there were for a period of time look like Jalen Brown maybe his ceiling is perennial all-star well maybe his ceiling is all NBA Hmm. and and we're just starting to get a taste of it because this guy is an improved shooter an improved passer an improved ball handler an improved dribbler and there's just no end in sight. I mean, there's no ceiling to these two players' games right here. And, you know, we're we're loving every moment watching it. 
Well, six and three, and yeah, they've proved me wrong at least at the start of the season. So look forward to seeing what happens. They'll take on the Wizards tomorrow night. Adam Coffin, WBZ Radio in Boston, is going to join us every week for the near for the uh, foreseeable future here at this time in the Brady Farkas Show. Adam, we appreciate it, man. We will talk to you again next week. Look forward to it. I look forward to it also. Adam Coffin, WBZ News Radio in Boston. Really, in my mind, the foremost authority on the Boston Celtics, and you heard it there. He is going to be with us every Thursday for the foreseeable future. So as we transition out of our general football season kind of schedule, we'll get into a bunch of other stuff, and we'll have some more things to roll out here in the near future. Adam Kaufman, one of those things as well. Look forward to talking to him every single week. All right, when we come back, we'll get the CBS News update first. Then we'll have a ton to react to from the Adam Kaufman interview. interview. But first... Can the Texans, can Nick Casario take Josh McDaniels with him and make him the team's next head coach? That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. No sports better than Brady does? Text in with your thoughts at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, welcome back. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Thanks to Adam Kaufman, WBZ News Radio in Boston, going to be with us every week for the foreseeable future. You can find the interview online after the show and the full show podcast. Subscribe to us. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swant and Lumber. You can find it at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at WDEVradio.com. Just search for The Brady Farkas Show. It is a black box. My logo, Brady Farkas show with its kind of pair of headphones, sticks and stuff, Swanton Lumber logo, right there, very, very easy to see. All right, we will get to our Adam Kaufman takeaways, and I need your help when we get to those on the text line, 802-585-3026. Before that, though, there's no way, there is no way that the Houston Texans can hire Josh McDaniels as their next head coach. There's no way, and we are hearing Luckily for the Texans fans, and I'm, look, I'm thinking about this as a Texans fan. Luckily for you, you are hearing currently that it's not going to be Josh McDaniels. You are lucky that it is not. You are. You should be happy that Josh McDaniels is not going to be the next head coach. The Texans have this weird infatuation with the Patriots. Well, everybody wants to recreate the Patriots winning, and they want the same level of success. The Houston Texans have taken it multiple steps further. It's like everybody they hire is a former Patriots person. Bill O'Brien, their ex-head coach, was a former Pat. Romeo Crennel was a former Pat, who's now their interim head coach, has been their D.C. Jack Easterby, who's kind of running the show there, he's a former Patriot. You're now hired Nick Casario. He's a former Patriots staffer, everything they do is like the Patriots. They just keep poaching from the Patriots. And the Texans haven't won a lot. So I have to imagine there are fans that are saying, stop trying to be the Patriots. Stop trying to copy New England. You can't. The Texans don't have Tom Brady. The Texans don't have Bill Belichick, so therefore them trying to repeat the Patriot way is extremely unlikely. And if I were a Texans fan, I would be absolutely fuming at the idea of Josh McDaniels being my next head coach. Yesterday, I had an opportunity 
to talk with Sarah Barshot. And Sarah Barshot is an ESPN Texans reporter. We were going to play it on the show yesterday. We didn't have the show yesterday because of what happened in Washington. So it was a great interview. Unfortunately, you don't get to hear it on the show, but it is up on the podcast channel. I asked Sarah Barshot about McDaniels, and she and he's, or I'm sorry, and Sarah said that, look, she doesn't think that they don't want to go down that road, and thank God if I'm a Texans fan. I think he's a logical candidate, but I've been told that they're not, that's not the direction they want to go in, uh, which, again, surprised me a little bit, too, just because it seems like they'd be a pair that would come over here, but when I've been told that that's not the direction the Texans want to go in. And that's the, that, that's good. That's good. That's growth from the Houston Texans. Them trying to be the Patriots has gotten them nowhere. It's gotten them to be okay, have some good years in a bad AFC South, but by and large, it hasn't brought them any success. And, you know, from a business standpoint, I understand trying to emulate successful people. Okay, I, I got this advice very early in life. Hey, if you want to be successful, find somebody who is successful and just follow them. And do what they do and pick their brain. But there's a point where you do have to branch off and do your own thing. And if you are the Texans, you've got to realize, and it looks like they are, that you've got to realize that you've gone to the well one too many times. And going to the Patriots well one too many times is not, the Texans shouldn't be going down that road again. And on that note, the fans won't have it. Tom Curran, who, who I consider to be the best Patriots insider, he said as much yesterday on his Patriots Talk podcast. For the job, Jack Easterby, the Angles McGillicuddy down there, uh, was able to get <laughs> Nick in the house, but he's probably not going to be able to pull it off with the fan base with Josh. He probably won't be able to pull it off with the fan base. The fans are tired of trying to be the Patriots. And I'm glad for Texans fans that Nick Casario doesn't appear like he's going to force feed another Patriots staffer to their fans. Because it's hard, man. It is hard to sell that. Tom Curran's right. It is hard to sell that. Hey, all we've done is lost trying to copy these people. Why don't we do our own thing? It reminds me of, uh, if you've seen the movie Cool Runnings, text in 585-3026. Okay? It's about the Jamaican bobsled team from the 88 Olympics in Calgary. And the Jamaican bobsled team goes in and they're trying to figure out their own identity. And the, the leader, the, the lead bobsledder, Doris, is looking around. He's looking at all the other great bobsled teams. And he's like, hey, we could take a little bit from them, a little bit from them. Oh, we want to be them. We want to be like the Swiss team. They're the best. And so he starts talking in Swiss. He starts hyping people up like Swiss team. And, then, and the Jamaicans are doing bad. And finally, Sanka says to Doris, he goes, I'm Jamaican. He goes, Quit talking about the damn Swiss. At some point, if I look Jamaican, talk Jamaican, and act Jamaican, I better be Jamaican. I'm not Swiss. That's what the Texans need to do. The Texans need to find their own identity, and they don't have one. They can't be the Patriots. Have your own identity. They don't. Sarah Barshot told me that. I think it's that they don't have an identity right now. When you when you hear the name, like the team name Patriots, you know exactly what culture, what when, when you think of them, you know exactly, you picture it perfectly, right? But with the Texans, what do you picture? They don't have a lot of history. They don't have, they've only played 19 seasons, and they haven't built that identity, and they've never won. You have to develop your own identity. You have to think, okay, 
What does my organization stand for? My organization can't just be the Patriots. You cannot recreate the Patriots. Heck, right now, we don't even know if the Patriots can recreate the Patriots. What the Pats had was once in a generation. And I don't know that we will ever see it again. And I don't know that we'll ever see real tangible success like that in New England again. The Texans, good on them that they're not looking right now like they're going to bring McDaniels in. And that is the smart thing because I can't imagine what it would be like for fans there to deal with another former Patriot. We've seen... Bill O'Brien failed there. Romeo Crennel. The team's gone after Ryan Mallett just for proximity to Tom Brady. It hasn't worked. Come to grips with it. You can't be the Patriots. And, you know, this week, Deshaun Watson said, the uber-talented Texans quarterback, he said, we need a culture shift. Is hiring again Casario, another Patriot, is that a culture shift, or is that more of the same? I don't know the answer to that. It feels to me from the outside like more of the same. If you had O'Brien and you have Cornell and you've had Easterby and now you're going to bring a Casario, are we still trying to recreate the Patriots in Houston? I, I call the Texans Patriots South because that is what it feels like. They are trying to recreate the New England Patriots, and you can't. When we talk about an identity – Figure out who you are, and the Texans don't know yet. Houston is a different place than New England. Look, I do believe that all teams need to have some, you know, all successful teams have a principle, right? That they're all they're all pretty disciplined. They're all pretty um, attentive to details. I think all good teams have that. But at some point, teams do need to reflect the city that they play in to a degree. Teams in Pittsburgh and Chicago and Boston are expected to be tough, are expected to be gritty, are expected to be nasty. When I think of the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Chicago Bears, any team in New England, any team in Boston, you better be tough, you better be physical, and you better be willing to bring your hard hat. Cleveland, a good Cleveland team would look like that too, like this Cleveland team. When I think of New York and L.A., I think there's going to be some speed there. There's going to be some flash. There's going to be some posh, some lights, camera, action. That is what those cities call for. Does Houston feel like New England? No, it doesn't. Houston has a little bit of, has a little bit of flash too, right? Flashy near the you know Texas, flash near Mexico, flash big city in the South, flash. It doesn't feel like New England, so stop trying to be New England. I never thought it was a good idea for the Houston Texans to hire Josh McDaniels. And it's good to hear that right now it looks like they're not. And on that note, there is the just the entire question of McDaniels as a head coach. Should he even be a head coach? Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots, was, was with us on Tuesday and addressed that. I think in Josh McDaniels' case, as much as Josh has been – mentioned in the past with a lot of coaching jobs and obviously had the opportunity with Indianapolis right now. I, I wonder if there are a number of candidates who have shot past him in the last year or so mm. to the, to the top of the lists. This is a great discussion about business. Can you keep saying no and still get opportunities at some point? 
it's going to dry up. Every year there's a hot candidate. There's two hot candidates. And Josh McDaniel's name, in my mind, falls further and further from the top. I I wouldn't hire Josh McDaniels. I've said that a bunch. You can't say no that many times and still expect to always be there. Josh McDaniels has said no a lot. And now I think people are frustrated and they see somebody newer and better looking coming along. And now McDaniels isn't at the top anymore. And this is now when he finally wants to be there again. You know, look, I've had people, I've said no to places in my career. I've said no to a couple places in my career. And I've had people warn me and say, hey, man, if you keep saying no, you're going to eventually fall out of favor. And I've, I've taken that risk. And I, I don't know what's going to happen in my career. Will I never get another call again from anywhere else? I don't know. I've said no before, and I know people have been worried about it. Josh McDaniels has said no before. He said no multiple times before. And by the way, whenever you're leaving somewhere, like you want to leave when your stock is at its highest. And Josh McDaniels' stock right now is not at its highest. The, look at what the Patriots did on offense. Near the very bo- bottom five in the league in scoring, Cam Newton, eight touchdowns, 10 picks. McDaniels' offense wasn't good this year. And whether that's fair or foul, it's going to be a reflection, a reflection on him. You want to leave the party when you've made the funny joke. You want to leave the party a little bit early rather than a little bit late. And McDaniels right now has stayed a little bit late in Foxborough, and he's no longer as valuable. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Okay, this is where I need the text line. I always ask for the text line. You guys are great. I'm going to need at least five texts, I think, on this to make this discussion what I want it to be. Our takeaways with Adam Kaufman. Look, he said a lot of great stuff, okay? We talked about Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Peyton Pritchard and Nick Casario. and we, We talked about a lot of great stuff. Go find the interview on the podcast channel after the show. We also had a little fun, though. We talked about yesterday's Celtics Heat game. The jerseys that the Miami Heat were wearing were maybe the worst jerseys that I've ever seen in my life. So, text line. This is your homework. Your, your, the worst jerseys that you have ever seen, what are they? 802-585-3026. Because what we saw yesterday was downright horrendous, and Adam Kaufman agreed with me also. Yesterday was just plain putrid. Horrific uniforms that I don't I don't know. I, I haven't heard from anyone that likes them, and I don't, yeah. don't want to meet that person for that matter. <laughs> I, those were awful. If you watch the Celtics game yesterday, the Heat were wearing literally half their body was pink and half their body was kind of, I don't know, ocean colored. It was Miami Vice themed. Half of them, the, the, down the middle, pants and shirt, pink and blue. It wasn't like the top was pink and the bottom was blue or vice versa. This was literally half the body split down the middle, half side pink, half side blue. If you haven't seen it, look it up. It's awful. So the text line's open, 585-3026, worst jerseys you can see. You guys are doing a good job. I'll get to some of these texts in a second. And I am a bit of a fashionista when it comes to sports. I love uniforms. I love logos. I love hats. I love jerseys. I love all of this stuff. So I'm pretty opinionated on this kind of stuff. There was a jersey. Some of you fans locally here will probably remember this. About five years ago, University at Albany. U Albany, UVM's big rival, men's basketball. They had shirts that were, they had jerseys that were two toned, purple and yellow. And if I'm recalling correctly, it was like purple on the top, 
on the top and yellow on the bottom. You guys, p- pull me up those Albany jerseys. I mean, those were horrendous. Purple jerseys, yellow shorts or something like that. Yeah, just search for that. Okay, so Albany had – they made the NCAA tournament. They made the NCAA tournament against Duke looking like this. I think it was purple in the front, yellow in the back of the jersey, and the shorts were the reverse image. I mean, it was disgusting. And they played games of this. And DJ uh, DJ Evans was their point guard. He was really good. They beat UVM, I think. And then he went on and played Duke in the NCAA tournament. They wore these jerseys in the NCAA tournament. All right. Text line is blowing up. So let's see here. All right. Nick in Starksboro. The Broncos mustard and brown jerseys. Those were awful 100%. I mean, my goodness. Those were, oh, man. Brown helmets. They had brown helmets, brown socks. Like, let's see. We have to we have, we have to look all these up now. Broncos brown jerseys. So okay, it was yellow. It was brown helmets with yellow tops, brown pants, and mustard colored socks. Those also disgusting. Uh, hockey fan gets in. This is Aaron up in. Uh, South Hero, who says those 1970s Vancouver Canucks jerseys, they looked like German ice dancers. Those are bad. And, like, I remember the Canucks, like, the Pavel Bure uniforms, like, from the from the mid-'90s. They were still black and gold. But these old Canucks jerseys, I remember that they, like, the whole top was, like, one giant V, and it did look like a German flag. It was, like, red, yellow, and black. Those were awful also. So, yeah, those are a good one. Uh, we get one from Betty up in Northfield. Well, I guess down in Northfield from where I am at least. Uh, Brady, nothing for me is worse than the old New York Islanders jerseys. Yeah, the Islanders jerseys of the 90s, and those get a lot of grief too. And the, the Islanders jerseys of the 80s when they were really, really good were pretty nice. They were pretty popular. But the Islanders jerseys of the – uh, 90s with like the Rick DiPietro years where it was like the fishermen, those were bad. And those free people constantly just bag on those. And then, yes, here we go. This, we got a couple of texts on this. Dale up in uh, Middlesex says, Brady, you can't have a discussion about bad jerseys without talking about the Chicago White Sox shorts. Not only did the White Sox wear shorts in the 70s for a small time, the jersey tops were also like polo shirts. You talk about being uncomfortable to play a baseball game. Those also horrific. Now, luckily, I'm not old enough to. Luckily, I'm not old enough to to have seen those live. But if I did, I mean, just, I mean, and they used to play baseball. Like we we're going way back to like the 20s at this point. But baseball uniforms used to be like that. Like you go see an old Cy Young video or Babe Ruth. There are uniforms where there are like collared shirts. Ty Cobb. I mean, we're going way back here into the early annals of baseball, but uh, that's none of those uniforms you guys just mentioned are any good. So good job on the text line. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Conversely, since I am a bit of a uniform snob, uniforms I'd like to see come back are a lot of the throwbacks. I mean, you know, what's what's old is new again. The old Bucks uniforms I want to see. The... Uh, I'd like to see the old Eagles uniforms, the Randall Cunningham type, where they were the Kelly green and not that kind of olive forest green. I like those um, as well. 
really like the um, you know I really like that the Bills went back to this hybrid uniform. I'd love to see the standing Buffalo on the helmet. I think that would be great. A uniform that we can't see anymore is the Houston Oilers. When and I don't remember like if Earl Campbell wore these, but the Oilers had teal blue helmets. At one point they had silver helmets, at one point they had white helmets, and at one point they had like teal blue helmets. And the blue helmets were awesome. And I, if somebody were to bring them out, it would probably have to be the Titans because the Titans and Oilers have joint history, but it'd be kind of insulting to have the Oilers jerseys worn in Tennessee, so I see why no one's doing it, but I'd love to see the Texans come out in those throwback Houston jerseys and just have them be Houston jerseys, but uh, those are awesome. Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We're about 10 minutes away from former NFL general manager Mike Tannenbaum joining us. We do this every Thursday. we got to kind of switch some things up as far as when we get to things now that we're getting out of football season, so... This is going to be, I think, the new time slot of Tell the Truth Thursday. So, Lucy from the Peanuts, let's get it going. Now we're really going to get down to business. All right, we're really going to get down to business. Tell the Truth Thursday, the Yankees are on the hot seat. After the New York Mets today acquired Francisco Lindor from the Cleveland Indians and acquired pitcher Carlos Carrasco, they have the headlines. The Yankees are on the hot seat. I'm not advising the Yankees to just wildly spend now for the sake of spending. But the Mets have people's attention. And in New York, the headlines, the back pages, and the attention, that matters. And that matters a lot. The Mets are now, in people's minds, moving towards World Series contenders. They're probably going to acquire at least one of George Springer or Trevor Bauer. They are going to be big players in the free agent market. And they have been the biggest player so far in the trade market of baseball's offseason. Of an offseason that's relatively slow, the Mets have hired a new owner who's willing to spend, who's going to treat the Mets like they're the big market team that they are and like they have the resources of a big market team, which they do. Steve Cohen's generating interest for the Mets, and now he's bringing in players for the New York Mets. And for the Yankees, as good as they are, they still face questions. Okay, They still face questions. James Paxton, Masahiro Tanaka, free agents in the rotation. The bullpen getting older. They lose Tommy Canely. Zach Britton's older. Adam Adovino's older. Araldis Chapman's older. There are questions now about age with some of the Yankees pitchers especially. Judge and Stanton constantly battling injuries. What are they going to do with DJ LeMahieu? Are they going to be able to sign him? If they don't re-sign LeMahieu and they've missed out on a trade piece like Lindor, I mean – It's not that the Yankees will never be irrelevant, but the Mets will be overtaking them. The little brother is closing in on the Yankees this offseason, and that's not something that the Yankees can have. I'm not one that cares much about the tabloids. Okay, I don't care at all about coverage like that. Like Usually when my team, I'm like, hey, okay, let let nobody talk about us. I want to sneak up on people. In New York, they care. They care in a big way who's talking about who and who's getting advertising dollars. And the fact that the Mets are now in the conversation alongside the Yankees and passing them this offseason, that is not good for New York. That is not good for the Yankees. There's always an an ongoing tabloid war. And heck, now even the Knicks are good, which has me completely shook. Yankees should be a World Series favorite, and right now they're playing second fiddle in their own city. 
and that's a problem if you're Brian Cashman and the Steinbrenners. By the way, side note on the Lindor trade, I'm so happy the Red Sox didn't make this move. It, it made no sense. There were Red Sox fans that wanted it to happen. I told you a month and a half ago I didn't want it to happen. I'm glad Bloom never really entertained it, okay? Lindor is a free agent at the end of this year. There's no guarantee he would have re-signed with the Red Sox. So the Red Sox are better to just wait it out, and next year is a great free agent crop of shortstops. If they decide they need a shortstop, Corey Seager's a free agent, and Carlos Correa's a free agent, and the Red Sox can can just go that route if they want if they want to sign an infielder. Because I'd rather sign an infielder and just pay money than trade away a bunch of prospects. And trading away a bunch of prospects is something the Red Sox can't afford to do. Okay, Spending money, Red Sox can do that in spades. Trading prospects, they can't afford that. I'm glad that Chaim Bloom recognizes that. All right, that was Tell the Truth Thursday here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. When we come back, just how dire is it for the New England Patriots? Just how big a loss is Nick Casario going to the Houston Texans? Former NFL general manager Mike Tannenbaum. He's going to join us next on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV. This is Freddie Coleman of ESPN, and you're listening to Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Big day for the New England Patriots. They lose Nick Casario. He's going to become the GM of the Houston Texans. A guy who knows all about NFL front offices is Mike Tannenbaum, former New York Jets general manager. He used to work high up in the front office for the Dolphins as well. He's with us with all his perspective. Mike, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. I appreciate you being with me. And let me start here. The Pats lose Casario going to the Texans. When you're in a front office and you lose a very high-up staffer, how big a deal is that? Well, you know, Nick's done a great job for so long. And um, he he definitely deserves this opportunity to be a GM. And if you look over the last couple of years, they've lost guys like Scott Pioli, Thomas Dimitrov, uh, Bob Quinn, and you know, Coach Belichick does a great job of developing people from within. So despite losing a good person and uh, good evaluator in this area, I think they'll be okay. You know, I think this is going to go one of two ways now. The Pats bring in a yes man who just further does what Belichick thinks, or it causes the Patriots to maybe be creative, break from tradition and rigidity. Which way do you see this going? Well, again, I see uh, you know, Coach Belichick's done a great job of developing coaches, um, staff, for a long time and I was fortunate to be part of that a couple of times in my career and you know you can go back from Romeo Cornell, Charlie Weiss, Eric Mangini and on and on and on he's lost a lot of good people and I think he'll continue to develop you know talented people and they typically you know like to develop from within so I would think that barring something unforeseen they'll keep developing you know, replacements from within. You know, Belichick said that this season for the Pats was kind of the result of all the years of going for it. As someone who has dealt with contracts and players and salary caps, how does that comment land for you? Well, you know, you can look at the results. They've done a great job. And I think in football, the trick is you want to try to keep your window open, you know, as long as possible. Um, there's going to be dead money charges that you try to manage the best you can. Um, and that's, um, you know, I think this year was tough for them for a number of reasons. The confluence of the dead money, 
you know, the quarterback transition. And then they had, you know, so many opt-outs. So I think, you know, that comment was, um, you know, accurate. And um, I'm sure he's going to look, you know, to make a quick turnaround. And, you know, this is a team if they get Hightower back and Cannon, Patrick Chung, I think this turnaround could be pretty quick. Well, Schefter was on WEEI today in Boston, and he mentioned Washington as a possible landing spot for Cam Newton this offseason. And he mentioned maybe $40 million over two years as a possible contract. When you look at Cam, how do you put a dollar amount on what he does at this point? Um, yeah, I was, I was surprised. I thought that was going to be a really good signing. He just seems like he's just not the same guy. You know, he's had a, so many injuries. He, he really struggled getting the ball down the field. And, um, you know, going back with Coach Rivera could make sense, but um, I, I could see, you know, both Cam Newton and New England having, you know, a new quarterback and a new team for Cam. When you think about money, $40 million seemed awfully high to me considering what we saw this year. How is it, How is a guy who's going to give out a contract, do you think about Cam in this offseason? I think part of it would have to be performance-based. Uh, again, you know, I think some of these guys, in fairness, it's hard to – assess their value given the fact that there was no off-season program, no training camp and maybe another year for him will give him a chance to get back to what he once was obviously he had a lot of success with Coach Rivera and I think to get to that number in part, part of it would have to be um, performance-based. Former NFL executive Mike Tannenbaum with us here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. You know, Cam has said he doesn't want to be a backup, at least at this point in the offseason. But I've seen predictions that have him going into backup situations like the Saints or the Steelers. How do you approach a conversation with a player you're pursuing if you have a different role in mind for them than what they may have for themselves? Well, the villain in the story has to be the market. Um, and you have to be patient and let it play out. And maybe he does get a starting job. And you have to be patient and try to continue to recruit him. And hopefully you figure out a landing spot, you know, a point where everyone's okay with it. You know, the Patriots are in a interesting situation this offseason. We don't know who their quarterback's going to be. So, therefore, we all say, oh, they need to get weapons. They need to get weapons. If you're a, a high-priced wide receiver, are the Pats an attractive destination right now in free agency when we don't know what the quarterback situation looks like? I think they have a halo effect because they've been so successful for so long. Obviously, um, you want to know who the quarterback is you know, at some point, but you know, they have such a strong track record of developing receivers over the years, you know, from Amendola to Welker, you know, Troy Brown. Um, so to me, like, they've done a pretty good job. Now, I know recently you could say certainly, you know, and Kill Harry as of now doesn't look like that's going to work out. Um, and there's been a few other receivers that haven't. But, you know, they have certainly more hits than misses. You know, when we talk about looking ahead, are the Patriots – the worst situation in the NFL right now. We think they don't have a high draft pick. We don't know like how good or bad is their situation going into the offseason. Yeah, um, they got the best coach, so I think that puts them right at the top. And I think if you put 32 NFL owners in a room and said, "Okay, we're drafting coaches," I can't imagine that Coach Belichick's not going first. So right there, that gives them a, a huge, huge advantage. Well, that's got to make Patriots fans uh, excited. Mike, I'll get you out of here on a completely random question. So after your executive career, you did some work in the kind of the agency field, and you represented former you know, NASCAR IndyCar broadcaster Jack Aru, who did a lot of college football. He's a University of Vermont grad. I have had him on multiple times. He is a hoot. What is it like representing Jack Aru? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Jack was a guy, it was a privilege to represent him. Um, 
very talented, very smart. He made me better. Um, great sense of humor and uh, a lot of fun to work with Jack. Well, he is he is crazy in a in a great way. So he's got he's got stories about Vermont that uh, about places I didn't even know existed going back to his times in college. So uh, good stuff always with him and great stuff with you, Mike Tannenbaum, former NFL executive, former general manager with the Jets, and certainly knows a lot about the situation the Patriots are facing this off season and now having just lost Nick Casario. Mike, thanks for the time. We'll do it again. I appreciate it. Okay, thank you. All right, there goes Mike Tannenbaum. So, uh, former general manager of the New York Jets, former NFL executive with the Dolphins. You can hear him on ESPN as well. We actually taped that interview yesterday, and uh, it was crazy. And I, you know, I, I like doing interviews live, right? Like everybody likes doing a live interview, but when you can get Mike Tannenbaum on, you got you got to get Mike Tannenbaum on. So, we weren't on yesterday because of what was going on in Washington, and we were as we I taped that interview at three fifteen. And I wasn't sure at that point if we were going to go on the air. I thought we were at that point, but I wasn't sure. So I was like, you know what? Let's tape it in advance. Let's have it. And let's just kind of see what happens with the rest of the day. And then as 3.15 happens, and I'm talking to Mike. Now, like, I'm starting to we're, – we're kind of following what's going on in Washington. I'm breaking in. We're interrupting the getaway. And it's like, okay. It, so I had we had, like, multiple studios being used – to do various things on the news side. So I had to tape that on like the world's worst equipment, like my own personal awful equipment. So that's why I, Mike sounded good, but I don't really sound that great in that interview. If I ever was inclined to sound great. Um, so it's a funny story. I mean, like the interview is still audible. I still played it cause I still thought it was good content, but from a production standpoint in my radio mind, I'm like, that doesn't sound as good as I'd like it to. And the reason why is because we were doing so much news related stuff. I had no access to other studios yesterday to be able to, uh, to be able to get it. So I'm taping it on a cell phone with an earpiece, uh, into a tape recorder. And that is how that interview was taped. So, Hey, it is what it is. But since we taped it yesterday, we were able to get some of the audio cut up already. So 802-585-3026. 802-585-3026. Bill Belichick has said multiple times and reiterated again this week. He said that part of what happened this year with the Patriots was a product of us going for it. It was a product of the Pats going for it. They sold out to win Super Bowls, and they won three Super Bowls. They played in the fourth over the last couple of years. Do you do you buy that from Bill Belichick? Does that satisfy you, or does it come off as an excuse? Is Bill Belichick making an excuse? I asked Mike. I asked Mike Tannenbaum, what do you think about those comments? Well, uh, you can look at the results. They've done a great job, and I think in football, the trick is you want to try to keep your window open, you know, as long as possible. Um, there's going to be dead money charges that you try to manage the best you can. Um, and that's, um, you know, I think this year was tough for them for a number of reasons. The confluence of the dead money, you know, the quarterback transition, and then they had, you know, so many opt-outs. So I think, you know, that comment was, um, you know, accurate. And um, I'm sure he's going to look, you know, to make a quick turnaround. And, you know, this is a team if they get, High tower back and Cannon, Patrick Chung. I think this turnaround could be pretty quick. I agree with Mike Tannenbaum that the comments by Belichick are understandable. This season is in part a product of decisions the Pats have made with money. Okay? This is a product in part of in, in part because of that. They finished seven and nine in part, as Belichick says, because they sold out 
over the previous couple of years. They paid Antonio Brown, and they paid an aging roster like Chung Hightower, Devin McCourty, Jason McCourty. They paid all of these guys, and I agree. They sold out to win Super Bowls. And there's a couple of things at play here. One, the Patriots had good players. They had Super Bowl-winning players, Super Bowl-winning rosters. Good players are expensive, and good players you want to lock up. So you lock up a... Uh, you know, a Shaq Mason. You lock up a Patrick Chung, a Devin McCourty. You have Tom Brady, who makes a lot of money, but not as much as top of the market. You you keep locking up Julian Edelman. You pay James White. You bring back Rex Burkhead. You have good players. And when you have good players, they're going to command money eventually. And the Pats had a lot of players that were good that commanded money. That that was part of it. They wanted to win Super Bowls, so they retained their own guys. Second, and I'm fully for this, the Pats were trying to keep their championship window open. We always talk about teams' championship windows and how long can they be open. Oh, you got a three- or four-year window here. The Pats were trying to expand that window as far as they could with Tom Brady. They didn't want a team full of rookies. A team full of rookies, I have said that you need to get a rookie you know, You need to get a cheap quarterback. That's what my plan is for the Pats. Get a cheap quarterback, build around them. If you have a team full of youth, that is the start, the base of what can be a really good team. It is not, though, a ready-made Super Bowl champion. It is not a ready-made Super Bowl champion. When you are the Patriots with Tom Brady, you need ready-made Super Bowl players. They weren't interested in playing with a bunch of 21-year-olds. They preferred James White and Dante Hightower and Patrick Chung. Other teams, they're waiting for their players to turn into useful pieces like that. The Pats already had them. So you want to lock it up. It's why you choose to lock up vets. It's why you choose to trade for Brandon Cooks and you get rid of a first-round pick and you trade for Brandon Cooks. That's why you do that. You have Tom Brady. You know his window is limited. So you decide to come out and boom, we're going to go for it. I 100% agree with that way of thinking. And if they had brought Tom Brady back, if they had brought Brady back this year, I would have said the same thing. Sell it all. I don't care. Go for it. There is no four-year process with Tom Brady. You're trying to win every individual year, and that's what they did. I agree with that. The one thing, though, where that comes back to bite you is what happened this year. There is a drafting problem. When you don't draft well, and you don't have young talent, you are forced to do some of the things that the Patriots did. You are forced into trying to go and get Antonio Brown. If the Pats had drafted and developed wide receivers, they wouldn't have needed Antonio Brown. Instead, they did. They sold out to try to win, so they got Antonio Brown, but they're in that position because they didn't draft well. They were in that position because they didn't draft well. You're forced to take a risk on Josh Gordon. And when that risk then backfires on you, you're not left with anything there. And when those things blow up on you, you're left holding the bag. And that is where the Patriots ended up. Right now, what they are is aging, expensive, and devoid of young talent. They did not draft well, and they do not have the young talent to carry on the banner from those older veterans. So old Slow, not explosive. That's what they are. 
Bill Belichick was right. I think every team in the NFL would sign up for three Super Bowl wins in four years. Hey, you're going to go seven and nine in year five, but you're going to have played in. You're going to have. Let's see. Actually, it was four or five. Let me see here. They beat the. Uh, they played in. Oh my God! How many Super Bowls did I go to? I covered all of these. So they beat the Falcons. They beat the Rams. They lost to the Eagles. So in in a four year span, they went to three Super Bowls and won two. Every team in the league would say, "Hey, if in year five you're gonna go seven to nine, but before that you will have been to three Super Bowls and won two, Every team would take that. Every single team would take that. Every team. So I have no problem with what the Patriots did, but it comes back to bite you now when you have an aging, expensive roster. So Mike Tannenbaum was great. The full show, the full interview will be available on the podcast channel. You can find it online. Subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at WDEVradio.com. Reminder, at 7 o'clock, we've got the governor's uh, inauguration speech. We're going to have that for you as he, as Governor Phil Scott was sworn in for his third term today. He did that this afternoon. He'll make his state of the state address coming up here in about 12 minutes. We will have it right at 7 o'clock. So I'm actually going to have to break a little bit earlier than usual at about 6.54-ish to uh, – to bring you that, so uh, we'll break a little early here, but 7 o'clock we will be back uh, right away with the governor's inauguration. And then tomorrow we'll have the COVID-19 response news conference, and remember Governor Phil Scott will not be at that. I think he just wants to let, based on what I have been told, just wants to let the uh, the coronavirus situation kind of speak for itself and does not want to you know, get into a political discussion about the state of the state. So that's coming up at 7 o'clock. But as a result, we need to break in about six minutes, so we're going to kind of change things up here. I'm not going to take a break right now, and we got a lot of things that we can go to, guys. So why don't we why don't we just go right to our closing thoughts? Closing thoughts. Closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay All right, closing thoughts here on the Brady Farkas Show. You guys have been great on the text line as well, 802-585-3026. Hope you guys are enjoying it. I'm enjoying it as also, you know, as well, just getting you guys with your voices into the show. And that's really what it's all about. A um, couple of things to catch up on here from the text line. Uh, Trevor up in St. Albans, he says that, uh, yeah, I, I agree, right? I think the Patriots sold out, and I'm okay. What I don't want to have happen is this 7-9 and nine type season to become the norm. I still expect the Patriots to compete. We see uh, John up in Enosburg. Wow, listen, must be listening to us online. Did our signal reach Enosburg? I'm not even sure if our signal reaches Enosburg. So um, John in Enosburg says, I agree, but it still comes off as Belichick is kind of making excuses. And I don't like when the Patriots make excuses. They were bad this year. Figure out a way to get better, and uh, then we'll go on from there. All right, closing thoughts. Spent a lot of the day talking about Nick Casario, Patriots director of player personnel. He leaves, goes to become the general manager of the Houston Texans. He's one of several Patriots people to leave over the last couple of years. Matt Patricia, Brian Flores. Um, Jack Easterby, now Casario. Why is there this exodus from New England? Why is there this exodus from New England? Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston, heard him speak last night. They're not young pups, and they, and they have put in their time, and yet they're kind of capped. And I think that's that's one reason why you're you're seeing these guys 
ready to move on and try to run their own show. So Phil Perry says, these guys are kind of capped, meaning there is no more upward mobility in the organization. Bill Belichick is the GM of the Patriots. Nick Casario was never going to be given that title. He had reached as high as he could reach. Brian Flores was not ever officially called the defensive coordinator. He had reached as high as he could reach in the organization. At some point, the Patriots are stunting the growth of their people to the point where they are. I don't know if bitter and resentful, that might be a little too strong, but they just recognize like, hey, I'm going to work my tail off. I'm going to put in my time, and there's not going to be the reward for it. I'm not going to get the promotion. I'm not going to get the title. I'm not going to get the credit. I'm not going to get the opportunity to have the say that I want. Think about your own life. Think about your own career. How many of you, and I'm sure on the text line, you're out there. How many of you have left a job or have gone into your boss and said, I'm going to leave if I don't do this, I am working too hard. I want a raise. I am working too hard. I want a promotion. I have been here for X amount of years. I want to feel valued. Do something that makes me feel valued. You've all done it. I've done it. And if you haven't done it, you wish you did it. And you're probably bitter that you didn't do it. My very first job in radio, I was in Albany. I was there for two and a half years. I made $9 an hour. For two of those two and a half years. I was getting in at 5.50 a.m. I was staying until, in some cases, I was staying until 7 o'clock at night. I didn't have any kind of title. I didn't have my own show during the weekdays. I didn't make a lot of money. I wasn't even made full time. I didn't even have health care. I grew bitter. I grew resentful. I walked into the office and said, hey, I deserve something. They gave me a small raise. That satisfied me for a while. And then when it came time to promote somebody on the staff to a full-time host, they didn't do it. And I grew bitter again. And I grew resentful because that was my spot. I had earned it. I had been there the longest. I knew the operation. I felt I was good enough at the time to have the job. I didn't get it. And I got passed over. And then I got offered a job in Vermont, and I said, look, I will stay if you do this for me. And they didn't do it, so I left. And that is what happens to the New England Patriots. Guys that are there are capped. They they have reached the end of the line in New England. It's no secret that they want to leave. Nick Casario wants say. He wants ultimate say. He wants to run his own show. He's put in the time. He's 45 years old. He's got 20 years, 25 years worth of executive executive-ing left in him. He's got it. He needs the chance, and he wasn't being given it, and he wasn't going to be given it in New England. And that is how these guys feel. And on one hand, it's okay because the Pats have been so good. On the other hand, from a personal and professional development standpoint, you understand why guys want to leave. They feel like they have to because there's no other choice. Hey, I can continue to bust my butt for X amount of dollars, not have a lot of say, know that Belichick runs everything, and not get a whole lot of credit because Belichick will get all the credit. And I don't get the title. I've worked too hard for that. I, I don't blame Casario for leaving. 
It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Full show podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. Uh, we will have Governor Phil Scott's COVID-19 response news conference tomorrow. I don't know. Things are playing. My phone is playing in the back. I don't even know why things I'm not clicking, but hey, whatever. Uh, the COVID-19 response news conference is tomorrow. The governor's inauguration speech is tonight. That is coming up six minutes from now, right at five minutes from now, right at seven o'clock on WDEV.